0: We do restricted breathing where you breathe every third every fifth every seventh stroke and one of the reasons why we do that is just to make sure that when they're in the ocean and they come up for a breath and a wave is coming over that they don't get into a panic mode and suddenly just (gasps) take in a deep breath but you're underwater because that's the beginning of 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 the end stress physiology is all about
1: metabolism so when you get your stress levels up Your byproduct of any kind of cellular metabolism is carbon dioxide water. Uh, And it's when you get stressed, your metabolism starts to ramp up at a cellular level. So you're now burning, if you're in an endurance race, excessive calories that you need to, that you should be saving for later on. That's right. Yeah. And, And again, I'll keep coming back to you behind the curve all the time from a performance point of view.
0: Hi, welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast, the show designed to help you compete at your highest potential. My name is Mike Roscoe, the owner of SBR Sport. Over the years, I've worked with both runners and triathletes, from comrades gold medalists to podium level triathletes. I'm looking forward to having you on this journey with me, where we're going to speak to a lineup of experts, doctors, sports psychologists, professional athletes, and other thought leaders who will give you the tools and mindset needed to perform on a whole new level. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast to catch all new episodes and share it with your friends and training partners. Right, so welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast. I've got Dr. Jason Pfeiffer with me. Uh, Jason practices out here in the Sunning Hill area. His practice is called Bodyworks, and you can get on there online, bodyworks.co.za. Um, Jason is also the president of Chiropractic Sport in South Africa, and so lots and lots of experience with uh, athletes of all walks of life and so Jason it's wonderful to have you here we're going to be having a look at breath get some insights from you
1: afternoon Mike thank you very much for the opportunity
0: all right um, opening the breath how, how do we make sure as athletes as runners triathletes that we're getting enough oxygen in that we're not choking whilst we're running or swimming or cycling
1: so the most important thing I think from our side first is is, is measuring something first so that you have something to go back to and know that if you're getting progress okay So being aware where you breathe from, making sure that you're not just getting upper chest breathing versus diaphragmatic breathing. So the simplest, easy thing to guide guys to do is to be able to just sit comfortably, um, actually technically, preferably lie down or stand. Yes. So the diaphragm is not engaged and then closed off with the, the psoas. Yes. And then putting the hand on the chest, putting the hand on the stomach, and then just getting a breath in. And let them just breathe naturally. Yeah, you want to try and see in a relaxed state that you're getting more of that stomach movement that the, the stomach hand is moving up and down yes. as opposed to the chest hand Yes. and once you've gauged that most people, we would hope that athletes are better off that they're getting stomach breathing but most people have paradoxical breathing which is more of that upper chest breath yes. and based on the current lifestyle that's kind of what's going to happen you then need to start learning how to engage that diaphragm and breathe through the diaphragm Yeah. Um, so now that you know that you might potentially be more of a chest breather you need to start thinking about right use your diaphragm as a bellows that's the key for all of this yes so when the breath comes in the diaphragm pushes down on the stomach contents the stomach rises and you're drawing air into the lung and then exhalation is for the diaphragm to contract push air back out the lungs
0: and be able to kind of expel that yes I think as well, um, we're in quite stressful times, and so it really is easy. As you said, your psoas muscle is linked. Um, so, you know, uh, the whole thing of being in stressful times, shoulders kind of pulled up, almost asthmatic breathing, where you, you're breathing by just lifting up your shoulders up and down. And then to translate that onto a run, I mean, you're just going to run out of air the whole time.
1: So, tissue wise, you're putting yourself behind the curve. Yes. Um, you're not going to be able to effectively get that diaphragmatic movement. And, and what we do know is if we're getting those upper traps, the scalenes, the sternocleidomastoid, and you're getting all those accessory muscles of respiration starting to work, yeah. you're getting air into the lungs, but you're not getting down to that lower third where 70% of the oxygen perfusion occurs through it. Yes. So, again, you're behind the curve in terms of cellular oxygen uh, and PCO2 and PO2. And then you're not getting proper mechanical movement. So you're now limited as well by getting enough air into the lungs on top of that. Yes.
0: Plus, you're going to be an endless um, patient with neck problems. The, the two muscles that Jason just mentioned, scalenes, kind of if you are really on the side of your neck and the SEM is, is a muscle that kind of just goes from your ear To your collarbone um simplest way of of and they describing that
1: their whole goal is to when you are being chased by the tiger this is all to come back to evolutionary processes and if you're being chased by the tiger you need to lift that rib cage up to try and mouth breathe and bring as much oxygen into the system as you can but it's not effective at rest and then it's not effective and again if you're in that last 100 meters of a sprint good you want to be getting as much as you're going but if you're in a training and you're doing certain things in your training, you don't need to be necessarily breathing like that unless you're in a a test week or a stress test.
0: Yes. And there's no ways that you can run a a 10 or half marathon or or longer um, sort of pulling up there. I mean, you're just going to collapse with exhaustion. I think it's important as well that people understand the diaphragm is a muscle. And and, and so in the same way that every athlete is interested in quads and calves, uh, you need as an athlete to be interested in the diaphragm as well and and properly using that.
1: And what makes the diaphragm so... Unique is that there's both volitional control over it as well as subconscious control over it. Um, And and it's the same as the soas. It makes it quite a unique thing and difficult thing to kind of rehabilitate and treat. Yes. Because you can control a lot of it, but the state of your mind will determine a lot of how that muscle will function. And if your space, your head space is not in a good space or you are in a bad mood, Mm. your ability to recruit that muscle is subpar. Yes. Uh, And again, you can, through volitional control, learn to train that muscle to work a lot more effectively if you put the time in and put the reps in yes. to actually make it work effectively for whatever you need it to do.
0: And that as you explained earlier would be be aware of of is your stomach rising, if you're lying down and, and like you said, if you've got your hand on your tummy and your hand on your chest, um, you know, are you are you actually being able to pull through there pull through that diaphragm? And
1: then so that's the first point that you can link from, is just be able to learn how to use your diaphragm. But then you still be able to use the rest of that rib cage as well. So then yeah. it's also important. So you start to breathe through the diaphragm. There, You know, you want to be able to understand that you can get stomach breath forward and backwards, so front to back. Yes. But then you must be able to try and make sure that that stomach can expand like a barrel out to the sides. Yeah. And ultimately, if you feel at the back of your body so right where those ribs attach attached to your spine, just below that in that meaty section. If you inhale, you should feel it expanding and there should be pressure. Right at the back by the QLs. Or well, by the way, the QLs. Exactly. Okay. Into that there. There. okay. That proper dynamic breath, yes. not just this forward and backward kind of movement. Yes. So if we can get that, that, that barrel to be pressurized, you're now getting better perfusion of the lungs. And then on top of that, you need to make sure that those ribs on the side can also then expand. So it's been able to just literally feel the intercostal muscles between the ribs. Yeah. And as you're getting that, that breath in, if you're doing a bit of breathing training, and ideally you should do a bit of breath work before you do a training session so that you pre-fired up and warmed up just like you do for the rest of the tissue.
0: Yes, yes.
1: That you can get those intercostal muscles to spread as you get a bit more expanded breath into that. Um, particularly with swimming is nice because we're in the water, there's a pressure feedback that you can actually feel for movement as you're breathing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I think Kelly Starrett, uh, during the course of this week, spoke about that, that athletes, you know, we do this in everyday life, run up a flight of stairs, and the fittest athletes get to the top, and they're completely out of breath, because they never prime themselves to go, there's a flight of stairs, let's get the breathing right before we before we do that. So that would almost be for like a runner or cyclist, part of their warm-up is is Get your body going, get some warmth through your knees, get some warmth through your tendons, get some blood perfusion going so that you're not just uh, prone to injury. And then at the same time, just relax um, and, and, and get that breathing, get that sorted out at the beginning of a run. And that whole concept
1: of a warm-up, you know, we like to jump ahead of ourselves and we're always looking for hacks to try and find the quickest, easiest way to get things done. But yeah. the intention is to create that mind-muscle link to be able to know that we can recruit X amounts of units of the motor pool to work really well. Yes. But it's getting that tissue to do its job. And we'll do that for our power muscles or our volitional muscles. But we won't do it on something that, you know, if you're not getting air in, you're not going anywhere. Yes, yes. Um, And I I always struggle to work out why people don't look at doing a bit of breath work. And it doesn't have to be a half an hour session. Yeah. It could be five minutes whilst you're going through your stretches or your dynamic mobilizations, depending what it is that you need to do from a warm-up point of view. Yes, yes delaying your exhalation um so when you breathe in you're speeding up the heart rate and you're getting a sympathetic arousal response yes when you exhale you're going parasympathetic the diaphragm is supplied by the vagus nerve it's your primary parasympathetic driver yeah so being able to kind of slight breath holds with delayed elongated exhalations will really kind of want to
0: really count count through there a little bit
1: you can begin with cadence breathing you can begin with apnea breathing cadence breathing that the simplest thing would be an inhale over a count of five, and then an exhale over a count of five. Yeah. Uh, that could then be expanded to an inhale and a hold for a count of five, exhale and a hold for a count of five, like box breathing. Yes, yes. Those could be used in training to try and particularly enhance the stretch effect. So if you think about if we're at the end of a session now doing a cool down and you're doing conventional static stretching, um, look at yoga. When people get to extreme positions and they're just tighten their they're trying to go through that, they hold their breath your brain's kind of recognizing this is a point of stress. It's not a point of ease. Yeah. When that should be a point of ease. That's what you're trying to train it for. Um, So you want to go to your cadence breathing with that. Then you can go to apnea breathing at the same time too. This is a little bit more advanced and a bit more difficult, but you do something like a four breath in, hold for a count of eight, and then exhale for a count of six. Now you're really maximizing your ability to tolerate CO2. Yes. And that's now showing to be quite a lot of research in that CO2, a tolerance of CO2 is a stress molecule. So I particularly look at in water. Um, I have swum quite well before in the past when I was younger, and you'd get the proverbial fat kid that jump in the water and do forty meters not a problem. For me, twenty-five meters was always a mission. Yeah. My ability to tolerate threshold of CO two is much, much lower. And as soon as I'd reach that, it drives stress change my brain so state of stress yes and you get panicky and it, it ties into a suffocation model and there's a few things around that but being able to train your ability to tolerate co2 for longer periods of time
0: makes you far more efficient with your oxygen usage at a cellular level I'm going to pick up on two things there. The one is, is quite critical and something that I do with my swimmers is to try and get them to swim 25 metres without breathing. We do restricted breathing where you breathe every third, every fifth, every seventh stroke, and then eventually one length. And then uh, I found I would say about 10% of swimmers are able then to do two lengths, so 50 metres. And one of the reasons why, why we do that is just to make sure that when they're in the ocean – and they come up for a breath and a wave is coming over that they don't get into a panic mode and suddenly just <gasps> take in a deep breath, but you're underwater because that's the beginning of, of, of the end. Um, so, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the sort of sympathetic system Uh, I really like what you're saying. I, I as a coach, love the element of low heart rate training for a lot of the workouts um, because that's where you build that big aerobic base. And for someone who just gets out there and kind of smashes it, the body goes into a fight or flight and the person looks at their pulse rate and it's sitting at 160 and they're on a slow run and they're wondering why they can never get this right. It really is almost, I suppose, getting the body into almost a slightly meditative place so that they can train more effectively there.
1: So our bodies are an extension of our brain. Yes. And, and I think too often we, we, especially within sporting communities, people just see the brain as being something else and the body as something else and these two machines... There's some communication. Yeah, it's the labs with a brain in a bottle. And we go, oh, that's a different part. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the research from high-performance points of view is that an emotionally calm brain creates a calm physiology, and that allows the athlete to go and perform. Yeah. And if we don't highlight that, and again, we don't prep for that, and utilize that, then we're, we're behind the curve again. Yes. And that leads to then with the swing part. If a lot of this with understanding of CO2 tolerance, etc. comes from the tactical community in the States, When they look at the special operations community. Um, And if you look at what Navy SEALs do, where they do stress inoculation, where they will put guys into more difficult situations by removing air and having to do things with cognitive load um, and skills underwater, is gradually building these guys up the ability for that happening, where you're in an environment that is stressful, you suddenly have a wave come across your face, your next breath of air is salt water, but you can still stay calm, rather than going panicky. And then again, Stress physiology is all about metabolism. So when you get your stress levels up, your byproduct of any kind of cellular metabolism is carbon dioxide water. Uh, and it's when you get stressed, your metabolism starts to ramp up at a cellular level. So you're yes. now burning, if you're in an endurance race, excessive calories that you need to, that you should be saving for later on. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, I'll keep coming back to you behind the curve all the time from a performance point of view. Yes.
0: Yeah fascinating yeah because you actually lose weight through your lungs I mean when you burn fat um, that's it's, it's, it's you lose weight through your lungs you're not going to lose weight by sweating that's yeah. called dehydration and, and, and that's it everyone has this idea about I'm burning fat yeah the byproduct
1: is water and, and CO2 that's it yeah. and if you get that concept right and again so this then brings back to elements of, of nasal breathing a lot of people mouth breathe so what you're ever doing is you're offloading a lot of excessive CO2 yeah whereas our mouth is designed to eat the nose is developed as an aperture to get air in. Yes. It creates a microbiome. There's an immune function. And again, with COVID at the moment, this is yeah. a big thing. Yeah. Um, so you're getting modulation of the, 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 the microbiome. You are humidifying the air. So when air comes into the lungs, you can use that oxygen far more efficiently than previously. And you, although it's a smaller aperture, you're getting 20 to 30% better efficiency of oxygen uptake through your nose only okay. as opposed to mouth.
0: Gee, I didn't know that.
1: That's fascinating. So what you're talking about now with heart rate, there's a lot of discussion now about when you're using heart rate like an RPM counter on a vehicle. Yes, yeah. And your breathing is gears. Now, you could be sitting like an old granny in first gear with the accelerator in a weird position and the foot flat on the pedal and you're sitting at massive revs. Yes. But your gear system is not really capable of doing what it needs to do there. Yes. So being understanding of, you know, if we can take an athlete – who is working at, say, 85% of their heart rate max on an aerosol bike. Cool. And they can maintain nasal nasal breathing at that level. Fantastic. You then get them doing breath training, so particularly that apnea training or under-supervision hypoxic training, et cetera. Yeah. You get them back on that same aerosol bike at a stress test week, and they can now go at 90% heart rate max, nasal breathing only. They've got far more capacity. So when they hit 95%, they then open their mouth and breathe in from there. But they can
0: sit at 90% heart rate for hours. Yes, yes. They're staying aerobic. Yes. But that's a lot of, that's a trained response. Yeah, Now, now, you know, it's interesting, uh, just watching one or two martial arts fights, we've got Fight Fit Militia downstairs here, you know, you, you see the guys after a round sitting down and, and I've seen Richie Kwan uh, specifically just saying to his fighters, breathe breathe you know and you kind of go uh, you know the guy's breathing but really what he's trying to do is to get that fighter to calm down to get into a parasympathetic, more relaxed mode, because the moment he's in fight or flight, he's just going to lash out and make mistakes and get knocked out. And so now let's just take it from obviously the mixed martial arts fighter at that point is an incredibly stressful thing. But at the same time, your average person is leading a very stressful life. How does that affect what happens to a runner? So you've had a bad day at the office, you maybe have had a bad night's sleep, and now you're going for a run the next day. Um, let's try and link, can we link these things up and how would it affect an athlete? So there's two parts to that.
1: There's understanding in real time how you can downregulate the system. Yeah. And then there's the prep work you can do to make sure you get the best run or best training session in for the next day. Okay. Um, there's a number of things like the physiological sigh, which has been showed, and again, it's part of the suffocation model. All mammals do this yes. innately. Yeah. Uh, if you watch people sleep, they'll do the same thing. And what a physiological sigh is, it's too... <laughs> inhalations followed by delayed and prolonged and that sort of relaxed
0: feel that you get okay
1: and the same thing if you look at people who've been engaged in a in a conflict with the discussion um the first thing we do is we sigh it's a it's a release yeah and that in the real time helps down regulate that system and allows you to try and access that parasympathetic response far more effectively yes yeah now if you've trained breath work you have a greater degree of skill set of volitional control when you need to utilize this yeah and again this has come from a lot of the tactical community in the states where in high stress high intense situations they want to make sure that brain is functioning at the prefrontal cortex where you're cognitive and not going reptilian brain yes and that's where box breathing kind of developed from um, but you need to be able to understand how to use that in the moment there and then back to the second part of the question where you know you've had a bad day you know you've got a big session on a Saturday and you need, to, you need to be able to put a session in to make sure you get a result. Yeah. Making sure that you understand your metrics. So simple things like understanding your resting heart rate when you wake up in the morning, looking at respiratory rate if you want to measure that it becomes really important. And understanding state. So it's great with all the whoops and garments and all the other devices everyone has. Yeah. But as an athlete, you have to know yourself first. The data is great. Yes, yes. But if you rely wholly on the data you are setting yourself up for a little bit of a, an issue if when Garmin's out and not being able to connect to the mainframe now. Yeah. Um, so being able to wake up and just know, okay, listen, um, I'm just not in a good space today. You could do some breath work so that apnea breathing, the same kind of way of doing that. And you could test yourself. So there's a thing called a CO2 tolerance test, which is where you take four breaths in and out, normal and relaxed mode. Mm-hmm. On your fifth breath in, deep inhalation, and you have a slow, controlled exhalation, and you measure that. This is what's used in the freediving community. Okay. So with the CO2 tolerance test, you want to be able to try and sustain nice and controlled breath out. As soon as you pause, stop, or you panic or run out of air, you stop the timer. It's easy to hold your breath, but that requires emotional control. Yes. What the CO2 tolerance test does is it's now mechanical and physiological and state you are driving off your want to breathe in. So the sympathetic nervous system is kicking saying, I need to suck air in. And as you're exhaling, you're delaying that volitionally. And the longer you can expand that CO2 tolerance test for, the better the system can tolerate CO2. And if I do that test for myself, for example, in a poor state, I'll see my numbers be way down. So below 20 seconds is very poor. Okay. 20 to 40 is sub-poor. 40 seconds to 60 seconds is about the average for the person. And you go above 60, that's looking really good. Yeah and I do a bit of apnea breathing or I do a little bit of normal base breathing or some box breathing, et cetera, and I redo my CO2 tolerance test, I can see my state is better. Okay. Um, that then gives you the access to kind of go, okay, good, I've improved my state, I can now train. But if that hasn't changed, you have to just sometimes take the hit and go, oh, today's not the best day for me to go 100%. Yeah. I need to hold back off on that day, and it's
0: a training day. So either go rest day, if you're really feeling bad, listen to your body, don't trust the stats. I, I, you know, I agree with you there. I'm, I, um, we use Training Peaks as a background to coach people, and it throws up all of these stats. And every time I meet with a new athlete, I say to them, listen, you know, it's going give, to give us those stats, and they give us an idea of where you're at. But your psychology is your best reporting system as to what's happening with your body and 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 again to go my psychology is separate from my body is nonsense if you're waking up dreading a run something is going on in your body and 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 your brain is trying to warn you and so either take a rest day or just go out there and just go today is going to be super slow and i'm not thinking about anything else i'm just going to have fun it's going to be a meditative type run or 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 ride. but you've got to get that right yeah
1: and I think if you look at your level where you've coached from and, and that you've done activity for as long as you have, I think when you're younger, it's very much black and white. It, it's, it's go or no go. And you kind of look at the black and white piece of paper and you go, "Right, I need to be going this and this and this. Yeah. And I think as you get older, you understand the subjectivity. And that's really where the gains come in is that yes. you have to step back sometimes and just kind of go, no, it's just not there today. Yeah. And I can put this in and still get some quality out of it.
0: Or, you know what, I'm good to go. Yeah and yeah. that's where you'll you'll get your maximum if it's out yeah I think that's also one of the benefits of heart rate-based training is that if you do go out and your heart rate just goes through the roof, your body's tired. There's something going wrong. And so walk until your heart rate drops. If you, there are times where I go for a run and I just, um, I'm cruising and I'm in a zone and I look at my heart rate and it's sitting at a low rate and I'm going, this machine is working perfectly. And, and that's kind of where you want to be as much as possible, but you're not going to get there uh, but just torturing your body. I think the other big thing with the with watches is, is this whole thing of the watch reporting when you've done your quickest kilometer and your quickest lap in the pool and getting into this trap of going, Gee, if I ran at 6 minutes 20 a K yesterday, this today I've got to run at 6.15, and it's unsustainable. Uh, you, you, you're you going to break down. You're going to end up with an Achilles problem or a knee issue, or psychologically you're going to snap. Uh, so so get into that place, get into that that, that zone. And, and the performance literature is very clear on that. Yeah, uh, the, f-
1: the best indicator of an athlete to work out where they are is that state in the morning. And if you're showing up that you're not feeling motivated to train, potentially you need to start looking at. And if it's consistent, that you're overtraining. Yes. And then re- looking at your heart rate and resting heart rate and resting respiratory rate, you'll start to pick up these things and go, okay,
0: maybe it's time completely for mobility week. Yes, yeah, just take a bit of pressure off. Side stitches on the run. Um, they're predominantly on the run because it's more of a jolting kind of thing. Let's just have a look at that, what to do during a side stitch.
1: So, again, Adam, at a cell metabolism, metabolism level, your ability to utilize the glucose and uh, the fats, depending where you are, if you're in an oxidative state or not, the system's not been able to utilize that well. So, again, step back a gear slow the breath down yeah. because, again, the intercostal muscles, the diaphragm has not been able to regulate itself and do the work that it needs to. Yeah. So, again, we want to use the brain to kind of go, okay, you may be sucking a bit of air at the moment. Slow the breath in. Make sure you get a bit of a hold and then a slow exhalation out so you start to bring the diaphragm to go back into a normal state of firing. Yes. And that then starts to regulate it. As much as our brains start putting us into panic mode and, oh, I'm sore and I need to now bend forward because it's a pain-based response. That's right, Yeah. You want to make sure that you're engaged and you, you tighten up your lats, open up that extensor musculature so that you're upright. Yeah. You're opening up the lungs. The diaphragm's in a more neutral position. Again, when you're flexed, you are not be able to get the diaphragm to work. Yes. Otherwise, it perpetuates the, the stitch. And then you just gently work your way through that. Whether you've ever really then changed gears in terms of your speed that you might need to do, that's based on where you are with your breathing. Yeah. But then you can work your way through that stitch.
0: Yeah. So it's a nice, it's a, and I think the critical thing there is that nice deep breath out because that's, again, stretching that diaphragm. Um, I think a lot of runners make the mistake on a hill to almost start panting. And so that that diaphragm, instead of just getting this nice big... Bella, kind of movement is just sitting there, like um, zigzagging, and like one centimeter, and just uh, no, you know, just getting tired on you. Okay. Rhythm. What yes. you guys do all the time is just—it's everything
1: about a rhythm, and and breathing is no different. Yeah. You you know you're in a good rhythm, and you won't get a stitch. Yes. You suddenly hit a hill, or you're a little bit hotter than you need to be, or anything like that, and your rhythm goes out. But then that's the the reason and and that's what symptoms are for in a sense is there to let you know you're not in the right space yeah Uh, something's going on with the system somewhere go back to your rhythm slow it down maybe slow down your speed a little bit get back to that nice controlled exhalation getting air in through the nose um, trying to reduce the frequency in a sense so it's not too much that pent like you said yes and quite quickly you start to reoxygenate the muscle muscle starts to work its job properly and you're not in pain as much yeah if
0: you do it properly you will get out of the stitch immediately
1: v- yeah. with, well within m- matter of 10 to 15 to 20 seconds depending on to what severity
0: it is and yes. what state your hydration is you can quickly get out that stitch yeah if you don't then that thing can torment you for the next four days where you're just sitting there with this constant pain and it's more often on the right hand side uh, also i think with the with the with the, the links between liver and stomach that sort of hang off the diaphragm um, you've got to get that diaphragmatic movement going properly there
1: and again with some regular breath work and getting the feel of this right you you get to understand what feels normal and when doesn't feel normal so You'll be aware before the stitch even starts if you've done enough work beforehand, if you've got enough reps in the game to kind of go, this isn't just where I need to be. Yes. I can slow my breath down and get the control right.
0: And, and that's when you can then eliminate the stitch. Yes. Got it. Cool. Let's go through some just 101s for swimmer to. Uh, To to bear in mind I spend years Only breathing on one side um, And even though I've coached Lots of swimmers It really took me a while I breathe very easily to my right Battle to breathe to my left But left has now become natural I suppose as a chiropractor You really want to see people Bilaterally breathe
1: Organisation of control The more symmetrical we are The better we are for the long term Uh, As soon as there's asymmetry in the system You're putting abnormal load into the system and you're waiting for the system to then fail, which you then behind the curve in terms of your training, because you're now injured. Yeah. So, yeah, being able to sit down, and, and again, this is, I suppose it comes down to emotional maturity, being able to step back out of yourself and kind of go, as much as I want to be training hard and just breathing to the right side all the time, Yeah. I've got to work and making sure that I've got to maybe pull back a little bit of my pacing and learn to go to the other side. Having someone that can sit and look at that and help you gauge what needs to shift and change, because uh, there's a concept of a... Of a upper cross syndrome where we yes. get short tight front neck musculature our scaps and our, our scap stabilizers become a little bit weaker so they flare and again in a swimmer that's swimmer shoulder straight yes. away from the get-go and that's where i had a cuff injury waiting to happen it all yeah. plays into each other yeah swimmers if you're putting miles into the pool yes you will end up getting to that point because of just the amount of time in that position but it doesn't give you the excuse not to look after it yes so you need to be able to make sure that you can do that effectively and then Again, knowing where your weaknesses are, work on those weaknesses, making sure that there's good thoracic mobility. And this is both in the rotational plane, but also like we're talking about with the breathing, making sure that when you want to inhale, and as much as we tend to harp on about, oh, don't use the chest that much. You have it there as a a tool that when you need that extra bit in, go for it yeah so you still need to work at making sure that you can open up those ribs and and again being able to put the hands on the ribs making sure that when you get a breath of air in those ribs expand front and back sideways and particularly to the back area that really makes sure we're getting maximum of lung perfusion yeah but then also work into the armpit so if you want to feel that that area there because it's an area we often forget about yes but you can literally put your fingers in between your intercostal muscles and making sure that as you're breathing in you can feel that expansion through that area and again this is done at the pool first initially just to get comfortable with it. But again, in the water, you have that, that feedback loop of the water pressure on you, yes. so you can actually get that feeling.
0: Get so it it's right a great the place to do it,
1: go from there. And again, in your stroke correction, before you start your stroke correction, you're going through that because if you can't breathe, you're not gonna be able to do your stroke correction. You're not gonna be able to then put that into your training. Yeah it all then starts to play a role and, and makes things more effective from that.
0: And then when we had Paul Fry as a swimmer, you know, Paul was saying blow bubbles the whole time because you don't just want to kind of, as you turn your head out the water, have to now get rid of air, which is like a little <laughs> puff and then <gasps> a little gasp in because, I mean, you're just gonna, you're going to start panicking. So it's blow bubbles when your head's in the water so that as you come out, you can really get a good breath in, get lots of air in.
1: And then that goes back into that that sympathetic and parasympathetic system. Yeah. If you're not being able to properly ventilate the system, you'll go sympathetic and you'll start to get hyper. Muscles tighten up. So the first thing that you do as a stress response is to go fetal because of the tiger is about to eat you. You need to cover all your vital organs. Yes. So pecs shorten and tighten. You tighten up your, your iliosiris. Your QLs even then start to change up normally. So then you start changing your position in the water and you've now lost all your efficiency in the yes, water too. Yes. So yeah. again, you're burning far more energy and you're behind the curve and you're wasting your time.
0: Yeah. I think the other big thing with swimming is is to mix your strokes a little bit, a little bit of backstroke. Uh, we always do a warm down with a double arm backstroke because just, you know, those picks with freestyle are just forever coming down into a tight position. That backstroke just open everything up a little bit so basics.
1: Yeah. Uh, the uh, basics posture is huge Yes, and, and, and again we talk about the diaphragm for your breathing the diaphragm is really important for your posture we uh, want to make sure we get that, that central cylinder to be pressurized yes. because now you've got a solid foundation for you to move your scaps off to move your hips off they're the engines for your limbs Yes, and if you're not aware about that posture in space then you're going to be putting yourself at disadvantage from a movement point of view and then, like you referenced now, being able to change up strokes so that you can get as much glide and slide to the tissue without that ability to glide and slide in multiple planes. Yes. You're just setting up yourself for disaster because you put abnormal tissue load.
0: Yeah. For a runner, I've always said to, to, you know, when we have track and stuff like that, that the most important postural thing for me, for a runner, is the solar plexus. And, and that the, the moment the runner gets tired and you start bending your lungs kind of over your tummy, I mean, at that moment, the restriction of breathing is, is, is just huge. Is that something that you would agree with, kind of just holding that chest in a position where you can breathe?
1: So to the extreme of that first, if you look at, so these studies have been done in Japan in old age homes, when people get kyphotic, that increased curve into their spine yes. and they're kind of stuck forward now, their rates of mortality go up because the ability, there's too much pressure onto the heart, and to the lungs to just get normal pressure and beat, yes. as well as bringing air in. Yes. Now that's extreme range, but now you put that into someone that's doing functional training, and they're on their run, and they now go into that forward flex posture. It drives sympathetic arousal. So if we go and put you into a stress position and I hold you into that forward posture, your heart rate's going to go up, your yeah. blood pressure's going to go up, your tissue's going to tighten up again in your pecs, you're going to tighten up your psoas, you're not going to be able to swing your legs. So you're now physically not being able to move well, yeah physiologically your system's going into the hypermetabolic state so the afterburn is being turned on and you're burning energy for no real reason to be honest yes and then posturally you lose all your control so yeah. again you're not being able to stabilize that central cylinder and you're not being able to move nearly as efficiently as you could have done had you maintained a good upright posture and again it's not like you need to be extreme about this it's just not folding yourself too far forward yes and
0: especially on a hill uh, I've seen so many runners that just bend on that hill, and they like the drop f- gears, <laughs> and they want to just get into that little chug along, <laughs> and, and like just, a little diesel engine. Yeah, and and so on a, on a hill, keep the posture going. Um, on a tr- on a on bikes, obviously on a mountain bike, you've got the torso is more upright so you you can have a better position for the lungs on a road bike you start coming down and then on a tri bike you can really get yourself into trouble Um, and on my part I think that's where your bike setup comes in if your tri bars right now are too squashed together. You're never going to get air through the, the top part of the lungs. Your shoulders are going to start aching. You're going to get into the, into the run phase of a triathlon with everything just in absolute knots. So kind of get that, get that bike setup
1: going. And that's, and as much as we keep talking about the individual understanding their own posture, being able to kind of know your technology yes. and know, right, my setup is good, be it my shoes, be it my bike, that then allows me to maintain my own postural tone and then allows me to get the
0: performance that I need. Yeah, and then as you're doing your practice on the bike, make sure that you're breathing properly. Get down into the time trial bars, and kind of feel where you you know will not feel because that's too dangerous. But but kind of become spatially aware of what's happening with your belly. Are you are you breathing through your shoulders or are you actually getting a proper breath through your belly through the entire lung? And that's just practice, some time spent um, and, reps and in being the game. mindful.
1: Yeah, reps in the game, and that's what it comes down to. you've got to be you've got to get that feel. And again, without that feel, and again, at your level of experience and, and, and some of the, the more elite level athletes and older athletes, you've had time in the game and you can get that feel. Yeah. So the sooner you start understanding these processes and just going, okay, here's a bit of a set routine for me to do as my bit of breath work before I start, you get that quite quickly. Yes, yes. Uh,
0: asthma plays a big role. Obviously, there, there's a childhood asthma that can... Like people through life and then there's also exercise induced asthma lots of pollens and dust and stuff like that um, just any advice for asthmatics so
1: the idea with asthmatics is and they get very focused around the the box of asthma and that's kind of what they put themselves in mm. but there's a lot that you have available to yourself to be able to try and help with that so again as a big picture understanding that All that's happening is your airways are becoming restricted. Yeah. So getting air in and getting air out is limited. Now, when they've gone through the attacks, they know this better than other people. But you want to be able to try and make sure that you can get as much perfusion in as you can. Yes. Your diaphragm and your ribs. Yeah. Those things make a massive difference in being able to try and do that. So the meds are there, and they play an important and crucial role when you need them. Yes. But there's a lot that you can do around that. So being able to make sure that you can do your rib work, you can do your diaphragmatic work, understanding your physiology, Knowing that if you're starting to get into that state, that there's a cortisol dump and you're starting to get narrowing of the airways, okay, this is what's happening. I need to slow my breath down or try and manage this so I don't kind of perpetuate this,
0: giving me time to get to my pump or take the meds that I need to take. Yes. That becomes critical. Yes. And I think, again, I've, I've said to, to a lot of people, I've had people here that have been to a doctor and they just say, you know, I'm just puffing ventilins the whole day. If that's where you're at, you, you're on the wrong course of treatment. You need to get to, to a, a, a Decent sports doctor, pulmonologist, or a GP who really understands it and get your meds worked out. Ventolin is not an oxygen cylinder. And it's like with everything in
1: life, if you're trying to look for that hack, you're not really putting the effort in to try and get the performance that you want. Yeah. You need to look at as many facets to what you want to try and do and go, right, where am I lacking? How can I improve on that? And that will give you that full picture of being able to make sure that you can maintain. Good breath health or ventilation health, allowing you to then actually prosper when you've got your asthma.
0: Yeah, yeah. The hack is the honor hacks. <laughs> that
1: that's exactly it. You know, the, the the modern day world of just trying to find the the sexy easy answer.
0: Unfortunately, you look at anywhere that's put time in the game. That's what it comes down to. Yes, yeah, absolutely. People now um, working from home a lot. I think you know, with what we've been through historically, has changed things. Are you seeing a lot of bad posture? Um, people working off of laptops, whereas maybe before they would work off a screen, is that becoming an issue now in, in kind of this new world that we're living in?
1: So the home ergonomics and home office station has is, is, is become a joke. Everyone's been prepped for their office desk and yes. they have got all the full setup there. And even then, most of the time, it's never actually really that good. Yeah. Now they come home to their, you know, we have discussions where owner, oh no, I sit in bed and I work on my laptop. And then I look at them going, well, why are you sore? You know, yeah. I, I, there's, there's the easy answer of going, well, let's get out of bed. That's simple. So, yes, we've seen literally from the third, fourth week into of, of the lockdown, we have seen the number of upper back related, postural related, work environment, tech, neck, kick up yes. dramatically. Yes, Your dining room table is a dining room table. You know, if you're going to use it as your desk, understand that you need to kind of go, right, how can I set this up? If you've got your laptop Put a few books under it. Get that screen height to your eye height. Yeah. Make sure you've got your wireless mouse and keypad so that you can separate your screen and that becomes just solely your screen. And you're yes. not, again, all fetal and crunched in waiting for that tiger to eat you while you're on your trackpad and still typing away. Uh, the yeah. simple things like that. That's, it's the low-hanging fruit. You don't need to get so, too technologically advanced yeah. uh, and you get a full suspended standing desk. You can just literally put your laptop on a few boxes of shoes or a few books and off you go.
0: Yeah. It's a few hundred grand. I mean, this is not like thousands and thousands of Rand.
1: And, and, and be aware that, you know, the mo- the environment that we're operating within now is also a stressful environment. So we're sitting abnormally. We're sitting for far longer periods of time. Yes. The amount of blue light from the screen is overacting, our, overdriving our brain. So it's driving us into that awake state quite a lot more frequently. Yes. Then we're stressed. And we're just perpetuating these same movement patterns in all the time. And unfortunately, these patterns become behaviours. They become normalised. The tissue then changes to adapt to that. And within a couple of weeks, your physiology is different. Yeah. And there's a price to pay, unfortunately, for that. Yeah. And yeah. it's being aware that you know, you're you not just in pain for the sake of being in pain. Pain is a warning light Yes. that you need to pay attention to something.
0: Pain's your friend. Yeah. And, and yet we kind of think, hang on, there's a painkiller. So yeah. I can get rid of the pain. You're yeah. not getting rid of the pain. Um, you, you're just putting a band-aid on the warning light. And, and, and when
1: the discussion comes to myself... And people come to us wanting, oh, I just need pain relief. We've got to be careful about just chasing the pain. It's it's taking the time to have the discussion about what's your posture like, what's your breathing like, because that's an access to your state. And then putting the work in to try and change that. It, yes. it took time for you to get bad. Unfortunately, it's going to take time for you to get back to normal again. Yeah. And I think we tend to uh, always underestimate the chronicity of something and the time frame that we've been like that for. Yeah. And now five months into lockdown you know people are going I need to change things yeah you definitely need to change it but then you have to keep working at it it's not going to just suddenly flip a coin and you'll be hunky-dory
0: straight away and again the, the the hope of the hack is that you're one manipulation away and the damage that you've done now for five months will miraculously disappear and then you can get back home again and crunch up in bed and work for hours on end um, <laughs> your piece of chocolate
1: cake after your run and i've done everything and then let's now reward myself and give myself something exactly yeah. exactly
0: jason it's been a privilege having you here um, for people looking after you um body works I think it's bodyworks.co.za.
1: Bodyworks.co.za. And you're in the Sunning Hill area.
0: And um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you,
1: Mike. I appreciate my time. It was great fun.